How many of you who are still here are heading out of town this week? Anybody? Okay, not very many. All right, how many of you are visiting from out of town? I told you I wouldn't single you out, but we're, we're glad you're here. Uh, that's it. Some of you may be uh, flying out, or some folks have flown out of Hartsfield, Jackson, probably. I know it's going to be busy uh, this weekend. Um, but uh, whenever you get on a commercial flight, uh, just before takeoff, the flight attendants will come over the little PA system and ask for the attention of all the passengers on the plane and will run through that list of, and communicate and demonstrate those safety instructions. It's the standard protocol. It's required by all commercial uh, flights. And so each time that happens, my heart goes out to that poor flight attendant. Um, because no one, and I mean no one, is paying any attention to them as they work through that little safety card and show how to buckle a seatbelt and all of those things. Um, but even so, faithfully, they, they carry on, they recite the script, uh, and for this they're to be commended and probably pitied a little bit uh, for having to do that. Some of you I know have been flight attendants, and, and again, my heart goes out to you. I remember it's been a while since we've flown Southwest, um, but we used to fly it a lot, and I, one of the... They, they have these humorous announcements. They try to make it a little more entertaining. I don't know how they get away with that, with the FAA and all that, but uh, they, they do. And I'm, one of the things they would often say is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, just please pretend to give your attention to us as we go over these. They're just begging for, just act like it. You act like you care. Um, well, sometimes as a preacher, I feel like a flight attendant. That's the setup. Um, <laughs> giving safety instructions, particularly when you're preaching around Christmas time and the Christmas story. Uh, we're, I'm reviewing the very familiar with those, for, for those who already have heard these things many, many, many times. Um, and therefore, there may be a lack of fresh interest in this story. Um, I mean, this is probably the most widely known story in human history. Um, Daryl Bach, who's a theologian, writer, he, he comments on this, this risk that happens here. He says, perhaps after almost 2,000 years of publicity about Jesus, the church takes the amazing involvement of God with us for granted. Now, I'm going to read another quote from Martin Luther. So this is 500 years before this contemporary quote from Daryl Bach. This, but this danger was already present 1500, just 1,500 years uh, of publicity about Jesus before there were uh, radio stations playing nonstop Christmas music for two months, uh, before all of the hoopla that we know today that surrounds this time of year, Martin Luther addressed the challenges of over-familiarity with this story. He said, Oh, we are often so cold and indifferent to this great joy that has been given us. For this is indeed the greatest gift which far exceeds all else that God has created. Yet we believe so sluggishly, even though the angels proclaim and preach and sing and their lovely song sums up the whole Christian faith. For glory to God in the highest is the very heart of worship. Lord, brothers and sisters, this has been my prayer for us this week as we enter into this is fourth Sunday of Advent that, that we would not be numbered among those who believe sluggishly about the fact that God has sent His Son into this world to save sinners. 
that we wouldn't take for granted this amazing involvement of God with us. And that actually from, the, from our vantage point within redemptive history, we would have a greater sense of amazement than even the shepherds and the angels from what the Lord has given us to behold. So I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to Luke chapter 2. You can look on with somebody next to you. If you don't have a copy or use your device to, to get to a, a Bible. And we're going to read uh, in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And so we're coming to the final song in our Advent series called The Music of Christmas. Just walking through some of the biblical songs connected with the birth of Christ. And so with this song this morning, we're not just listening to human voices, not just Mary, not just Zechariah. No, in our passage today, heavenly voices break out in song. We have the distinct joy and privilege to hear this angelic choir sing to us today and, and these mysterious, exalted creatures that God has made singing to us this, the greatest gloria that's ever been composed in celebration of the birth of our Savior. And so our focus is, is going to be on the song and, 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 and in part the announcement that precedes the song. But I want to I read these familiar words, starting in verse 1, words describing the birth of Jesus and all of its circumstantial humility. And so start in verse 1 and follow along as I read. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And starting at verse 8, Luke, Luke, Luke draws our attention to some shepherds. He says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, as we see in this text, these shepherds are understandably uh, simply not prepared for this angelic announcement. These fellows, they have no category for what's about to take place. I know we reread it, we're so familiar with it, but just put yourself in their shoes. So, and one thing, one quick thing to note, this, this announcement and this song, they're made to the most unlikely of audiences, to shepherds. I know that to us, it doesn't sound very strange. We've heard this so many times, but it's not to Caesar Augustus, it's not to Herod the Great, it's not to the Sanhedrin, to the religious leaders who are gathered in the temple. No, it's to this group of unnamed shepherds. This is, this is a group of ordinary, blue-collar uh, working-class sinners. That's, that's what shepherds represent in here. I mean, th- there's nothing special about these guys in themselves. And so this massive moment in redemptive history, it, it takes place in this nondescript field with these unnamed, just ordinary, obscure, nameless shepherds. And so that's, that's, so, so that's significant. It shows the condescension of the Lord. But look what happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to them out of nowhere, suddenly. This is how angels roll. They just show up and, and unannounced. And so this angel of the Lord appears suddenly, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Well, exactly what that means, I don't know. I'm sure there was light. I'm sure it was, it was, it was spectacular, clearly, from their response. And, and understandably, and immediately, these guys are, are filled with terror, fear. And so the unnamed angel, he, he begins starting this line that every angel must learn in angel school or something like that because this is just angel 101 whenever there's some kind of friendly angelic visit from God from from heaven to humans they always have to start with the same words fear not don't be afraid every time and because because this is what they're told no doubt human beings are going to freak out when you show up and so just get ready there's just no way to avoid this. So this unnamed angel appears suddenly and immediately says, fear not. And then more importantly, the angel explains why these shepherds have no reason to fear, but they have every reason to rejoice. Look what he says. For behold, get this, see this. That's what he's saying. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's why they have no need to fear. One writer said, humanity has nothing to fear when God moves in grace. That's good. We have everything to fear if God comes close and it's not in grace. And we have everything to fear if we refuse to re- to, to appropriately respond to His grace and the provision of His Son. But we have nothing to fear, even though God, the one who should, we should be most terrified of because of His holiness and our sinfulness, but if he, we have nothing to fear if He's coming near. Why? Because He comes in grace. He moves in grace. Because the boy who is, who is born has been sent by God, not to judge, but to save He's Savior, not to condemn, but to redeem. Most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. The next verse says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the, in order that the world might be saved through Him. And this is, 
This is the, the wonder of this story. R.C. Sproul said it this way, the, the glory of the gospel is that the one from whom we need to be saved is the very one who saves us. God moves and he moves in grace. We don't need to be afraid. And that's what's, that's what's going on here. This, ang- this announcement about, is about God's intention to save. Fear not, you shepherds. Why, why shouldn't we be afraid? Because I have an announcement. He's come and he's come to save not come to judge he's come to save brothers and sisters brothers and sisters this is good news this is the best news imaginable this is good news of great joy this is in the crux of the good news is is this on a real day this in this real city a real savior messiah lord has been born it's a real day this is a mythology it's not a religious fairy tale uh a fable it happened on a day in real history, on a real calendar day, you can, you can go back in time and, and, and see that. A day planned by God before the creation of the world. It happened in a real city, in the city of David. This isn't, this isn't uh, some fictional place. This isn't Narnia or some Star Wars outpost or something like that in a galaxy far, far away. Don't run it. I haven't seen it. So um, it's happened in a city, a city that still exists today, like Jonesboro or Fayetteville. It's, it's, I looked on Google Maps. It's 6,455 miles from this building right here. So it's a long journey, but uh, six miles from Jerusalem. So it's a, but it's a real place. The city's name is Bethlehem. We're already told that. It's a city where Jesse, King David's father, was from, uh, lived hundreds of years before Christ. It's the city Micah, Micah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. It's a real time, a real place. This isn't fiction, and and he is a real Savior. He's Messiah, Lord. He's Savior. He's the one who's come to rescue and deliver us. Remember, the the angel said to to Joseph, "You're, you're to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 121. If you've ever sinned against God, and you have, you need a Savior. And Jesus is the promised Savior. He's, he's the promised suffering servant that God spoke of in Isaiah 53. The one who would come and be crushed for us, who, who would bear our iniquity, suffer in our place, die for sinners. He's the one. He's the Savior. He's the Christ the Messiah, the anointed one. He's the ultimate coming king. He's the fulfillment of all of those ancient prophecies. He's the greater David's greater son. And he's Lord. Just ponder this for a moment. He is Lord. He is the ruler. He is the sovereign of the universe. He is everlasting father, almighty God. All of those things we read in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 a moment ago. He is Lord so this, 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 this announcement is huge. This real baby on this real day, and this real, real city is born, and he is really a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then the angel, as we read, he gives these directions out of there to find the baby. He's not going to be in this palace, in this gold-plated crib with this royal onesie on or something like that. I've seen all the cute little baby clothes with little Brooklyn. It's, it's great, but that's... He says, you're going to find him in a, in a feeding trough. And, and he's going to be wrapped in these, in these rags. This, this is the Lord. 
This is the Lord. This is, this is the, the one who spoke all things into existence and who holds all things together. And here he is lying helpless as a baby in a manger. I mean, the humiliation of the incarnation. What a, what a picture. And then suddenly, now we get to the song, suddenly this heavenly entourage appears, this, this army of angels. That's the idea of this host of heavenly hosts a multitude of the heavenly hosts, too many to number, hundreds, possibly thousands of angels fill the skies. This isn't probably the three or four that you see pictured in little children's stories and illustrated. No, this is this, is, uh, this massive army of angels fills the sky. Now, normally in Scripture, when angels show up, they, they show up by themselves. They show up individually. Um, most of the time, one, na- one angel is all that's needed to get the job done. I mean, you see in these Old Testament accounts, see one angel can just decimate a whole army. And so they're, they're, they're mighty beings. One angel, listen, one angel's enough to make the announcement, but one angel's not going to cut it when it comes to responding to the announcement with praise, giving God glory for this. So, so this whole host of angels suddenly appears in the sky and sings out God's glory and sings out God's gracious disposition peace uh, to those who are undeserving of it so let's see the song quickly and then we'll sing ourselves so after the announcement of the angel about the birth of the savior heaven just explodes in this song angelic praise verse 14 glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased so so glory to god the angels assign glory glory to God for all that is taking place glory to God alone glory to God in the highest and the highest of the heights of heaven glory to God the coming of Jesus into the world the incarnation of Christ is the is this most incredible revelation of the glory of God God is glorified because this child is born Men, men and women, all human beings were created to live for the glory of God. This is why God made us in the beginning, Genesis 1. This was God's creative design, that we would live for his glory. But right away, in a moment of self-glory and, and rebellion in the Garden of Eden, with, when Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord, that was shattered. That design was, was broken. Ever since, our bent, Romans 1 tells us, is to exchange the glory of the one immortal God for these shadowy substitutes. So what was, what was we, we, we have this glory confusion that abounds in the world today. We, we look to other things than God for glory. And so what was lost in the garden, though, Christ has come to reclaim. And this is what, so, so it's appropriate that this, this is the angel's song as, as this birth is announced to these shepherds, glory to God in the highest. His glory is, is central. And then, he say, and then they sing, peace, peace from God. So there's this glory ascending to, to God, and there's this peace that's descending from God. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. As we've talked about already this morning, we've sung about this in these songs that, that look to a day when peace will fill the earth and righteousness will dwell on this earth. There are, there are these global aspects of this promised peace 
Isaiah 9, 7, that, they're, that, they're, that are still future. We still await the fulfillment of these things. The earth, Habakkuk 2, 14 says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. In Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Well, we, we don't have to read too many headlines to realize there is still an absence of peace in, horizontally in this world. And so we, we still wait for Jesus the Messiah to come again and to usher in his kingdom, to restore Israel, to bring the sustained, everlasting peace through his worldwide reign. But, but Jesus has, has come to inaugurate that peace among God's people. So we'll talk more about that peace in just a moment. But I want you to notice it's qualified here. It's not peace among everyone. It's peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, what's that talking about? What does that mean? Let me say what it doesn't mean first. It's not a moral exhortation to the shepherds here, or to us. It's not, it's not that, that we might make this New Year's resolution to live lives that are more worthy and deserving of God's peace by being better people. Like we have to earn or merit peace with God by good behavior. That's not what's going on here. It's the exact opposite of that, really. Look what he's saying. This is about the the gracious gift of God's Son to the undeserving and to the ill-deserving. We deserve the opposite of peace. We deserve wrath. And so the pleasure of God is those with whom he is pleased. The pleasure of God is his favor. It's It's his grace. It's those to whom he has given his sovereign grace. Our only hope, listen, our only hope of peace from God is peace with God is grace from God. That's it. None of us are more fit for peace because of who we are in and of ourselves. It is only the grace of God. It's those with whom He is pleased. The emphasis is on His doing. New Bible commentary says it this way. The point is that through the birth of the Messiah, God extends his favor to people who have done nothing to deserve it, and he graciously grants them peace. That's what this is about. It's about the gracious pleasure of God to give his peace, give, give, his, give peace through his son to those who are richly deserving of his righteous wrath because of their sin. That's what this is about. God's gift of peace comes to those he's pleased to call through the gospel and those to whom to who respond to that gospel with faith and so this peace this as we know that that word that hebrew word shalom it's it's not just the absence of conflict we talked about this last week it is it pictures that things being in proper order all things are working the way that they're supposed to and so just as we were made to live for the glory of god we were also made originally to, to be at peace with God, to live in fellowship and relationship with God, walking with God freely in the garden. That's the way things were designed. And yet that peace was broken. That peace was lost because of the fall, because of sin. But Christ has come to restore it. In Romans chapter 5, you can turn over there. Just, I'm just going to read one verse. But Romans 5.1, or you can listen. Paul says about this peace, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and that's the case he's been making, that's all oh, that the therefore is there for. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've been 
justified. God has, that just simply means, I know it's a kind of a fancy word, but just God declares us just. It's a declaration that we are righteous in his sight, in God's sight, by crediting Jesus' righteousness to us. And we could look in, in the previous context to see this worked out. And we're justified by faith, not by works, not by performance, not by baptism, not by tradition, not by commitments that we make, not by church attendance, church membership, not by uh, piety, not by family ties. No, it's by faith. Faith alone. Christ's righteousness is counted by God as ours by faith. And as a result of this, as a result of this, we now have, we have presently peace with God. God is no longer angry at us because of our sin and rebellion. God brings us into his family. He adopts us as sons and daughters. See, now all of his dealings towards us are only out of love and only for our good. There's no retribution any longer. He will never, ever, ever be against us again because we've been justified by faith and we now have peace with God. He is our friend. We, we have this peace. We have nothing to be afraid of anymore. What a, what a profound reality. So we, we have this vertical peace with God, and it's because this is why Christ has come. Let me give you one other, let me make one other comment about this. I, it's been on my heart as I've been praying for us this Lord's Day. One implication of that, and this is not something that's out of the brain of Justin. That would be scary. This is something right out of the New Testament. This, this, this is emphasized over and over in the New Testament, in the, in the epistles of the New Testament, this, this clear implication of the fact that we have this vertical peace with God, and it's this, is we should strive for peace with one another. And I know for many of you, when you, when you get together and at Christmas time and the pressures that are there and, and all of the mix that's going in, there's sorrows, there's joys, there's expectations, there's disappointments, there's all of these things are in the mix. There, there can be challenges horizontally in terms of peace there are some painful broken relationships some that are just kind of awkward relationships some of these pains may be very old and deep some are new and very fresh and raw but they're they're all real and and some of these difficult relationships you know you know what you should do and you know what god has said about how you what the path of peace looks like it's it's hard to do it and in others, you know what God says, but you don't know exactly what that looks like in this particular relationship. What does the path of peace look like for me here? Lord, I don't know. And, 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 and what does it look like to move toward them in love and forgiveness? Exactly. But what should happen is that our sense of amazement and wonder at the fact that God has graciously given us peace with himself, that should make our hearts tender kind and patient and forgiving towards others as Jesus says 70 times 7 Ephesians 4 31 and 32 let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice he says be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another how as God in Christ forgave you God in Christ forgive you. So what we, what we need is to believe and to sense how much we've been forgiven by God through Christ and let that soften our hearts towards others. 
I pray that for you and let's pray for one another as we go into this week that the Lord would use us in that way. I, I know sometimes showing grace and kindness and forgiveness just gets thrown back in our face. It can happen. It may happen this week. And, and Jesus, Jesus understood something about this on the cross. And, and those repeated hurts can make you bitter. I pray that won't happen. And I, I ask you to guard your hearts against that from happening and ask the Lord for grace to help you. But, but keep being more and more amazed that your wrongs are forgiven by God than you are that others have wronged you. And so be amazed that you have peace with God. Your guilt is taken away. Well, the incarnation in and of itself, it did not bring us peace with God. It wasn't the incarnation alone. But the incarnation was necessary so that Jesus could make peace through his death and resurrection. Colossians 1.20 says that, that Jesus, he, he's made peace by the blood of his cross. That's how peace would come to be made, peace with God. Hebrews 2.17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. That's the incarnation. He had to come. He had to be clothed in flesh. He had to be tempted as we are and yet without sin. He, he had to be able to relate to us in this way. He had to be like us in every respect. He had to be born. He had to, had to come in this way so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, and this is the ultimate end, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, propitiation, that's not a word you hear every day, um, unless you're doing an MDiv right now, Eric, uh, or Josh. But, but propitiation, it's, it's, it's an offering to turn away the wrath of God directed against sin. It's an offering that, that propitiates, that, that turns away God's wrath for sin. So on the cross, Jesus Christ himself became that offering. He became the object of God's wrath, absorbing the just condemnation of God as our substitute. He was without sin, and yet he stood in our place, gave his own life as that offering so that we could have peace with God. Jesus was born to die. How strange is that? The, the one primary purpose of his birth, his life, is his death. Bethlehem happened so that Calvary could happen. He was born as a real baby so he could become a real man and die in our place. And so this is the, this is the, this is the glory of it. This is what we, we see. This is what's behind this angel song. What a, what a song. Glory to God in the highest and on, on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. And, the, and what, what an announcement that that song is responding to. This is, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This good news is for you. This good news is for you. A Savior has been born for you. It's like in the middle of this announcement, the angel makes eye contact with each and every one of us this morning. He says, it's for you. It's for you. For you. For you. For you, ma'am. For you, sir. For you, child. It is for you. Not, not humanity in general, but for you in particular, as you're sitting here even today, 
I mean, it's an interesting announcement. It's not, we think of birth announcements like a, a, a baby has been born to the parents. Uh, we, we expect to, to, to Joseph and Mary. But no, the announcement is this child is born for you. For you. Listen, if you've not responded to this good news of great joy yet, if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, we are honored to have you here. We're not going to embarrass you, single you out. And, and we're just, we're, we're honored to have you with us. But I do appeal to you with all my heart that you would, you would respond to this gracious provision of God's Son and to the invitation that's inherent in this message, this announcement of good news. That you would acknowledge your sinfulness, that you would acknowledge your need for this grace, for peace with God. That you would acknowledge that you have offended the Holy One who created you and, and you are therefore accountable to Him. That you would acknowledge that you cannot save yourself. You cannot rescue yourself. You cannot be good enough to overcome the debt of your sin. And instead, I beg that you would humble yourself and receive the Savior that God has graciously provided so that you can be forgiven of your sins and, and, and be freed from the prospect of future judgment so that you can have peace with God. This will change your life. It will make all the difference in the rest of your life, but more importantly, it will make all the difference for eternity. And so trust him. Call out to him. Acknowledge, acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge that he, Christ is your only hope. Pray. Talk to God right now. If you want to come talk with one of us, we're, we're here. But church, brothers and sisters, you who have experienced this, this new life in Christ, and, and we gather to, to celebrate the one who came to rescue us, the one who came to deliver us. We, we do that, and, and, and this is the reality. The more we understand our need for this salvation, the more we understand the cost of this salvation, the more we understand the, the theology behind the incarnation, the more we understand these things, the more we will rejoice in the Savior, even in the midst of the brokenness that remains. I love the way J.I. Packer captures the announcement in the song, and he, he just says it this way, that this Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory. Because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor and was born in the stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. It is the most wonderful message that the world has ever heard or will hear. That's it. Brothers and sisters, this is all because of God and God alone. And so it's no wonder the angels cry out, glory to God in the highest. And we want our voices to join with them. Let me pray and then, then we'll sing together. Lord, we thank you for this, this glorious message. We thank you that for our Savior who's come. Uh, and, and we're thankful that you have opened the way um, for us to have peace with you. So, Father, out of that position, that place of understanding that we have right standing with God and you are not against us, but you are for us because of Christ, we are enough in Christ that we would, you would fill our voices, fill our lungs with the air, fill our voices with the song to sing uh, your glory, God. Glory to you in the highest because of what, of, of what Christ has done in coming. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.